It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery. And you'll notice that it's just me today. Well, not just me. We've got a guest. We're going to introduce her in just a second. But we say that this podcast is about addiction, and it is. But more importantly, it's about recovery. And so we want to stress and bring back a past guest and talk about her recovery and things that are going on in her life right now. So let me introduce you to Gentry Jones. Hi, how are you? Welcome back. Thank you. So it's been, what, about a year and a half Yep, yep. But I, I was last October. And uh, how are things going in your world right now? Oh, they're they're going amazing, like absolutely amazing. Okay, so I want to stop you there because okay. I think most people say, yeah, things are going amazing. And we just did a podcast last week with Dr. Matt. And I think today, in today's world, we focus on the highs and the lows. And that's usually what we talk about. But we never talk about the in-between. Mm-hmm. And that's where most of us live is in the in-between. You know, I mean, I was like, people go, how was your day? Oh, it's amazing. And then you're like, well, it was amazing. So what's amazing in your world? There's just so many opportunities since I've gotten sober. And I feel like I'm leaning into the person I was meant to be. And that's a really cool feeling to be able to show my kids that I'm being who I knew I was meant to be. The thing I love about you, and I follow you on Instagram, but you're also on TikTok as well. Yeah. Uh, so what are your handles on TikTok and Instagram? At Life with Gentry. Okay. And I just found out, and you were here with me, we witnessed it together, that we're on TikTok and Instagram. And that's at Project Recovery. Yeah. Podcast. What was that again? <laughs> See, I don't listen much. At Project Recovery Podcast. And that's on TikTok and Instagram. Okay. And go see what the comments are about Dr. Matt. You're going to love them. But what I'm saying is that the back to me and you is that I like watching your Instagram because you do do the celebratory dances on the tables. Mm-hmm. And you also show like when you're the side of your car's falling off and you duct tape that together. Yeah. But what I really love is the in-between time of you being a mother and going through that. And that's what I'm talking about. It's just the everyday stuff. And what people don't realize for a recovering alcoholic or a recovering heroin addict or whatever it may be, that is amazing because we never thought we'd get those opportunities again. Yeah. I, I've talked about this before too, that like my kid falling and, needing to go to the hospital, like being able to just get in the car and go to the hospital, not having to think like, man, I've been drinking. Am I going to get the DUI if I go there? Like how am I going to talk to the doctor? He's going to smell alcohol in my breath and be like, how did you get here? Yeah. Just being able to drive your kid to the hospital is something that people take for granted, which sounds silly if you're not an alcoholic, but it's like something that I like feel so grateful for that I have those moments. Okay, so before we get into the cool things that you're doing now, let's let everybody know a little bit about the Gentry story. So how many years have you celebrated sobriety now? Uh, Four and a half years. 
amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. So for for those who are just joining us for the first time, you can go back and listen to our episode about a year and a half ago. But give us the cliff. I always tell people that there's like three different versions of our stories. There's one that you tell like people you run into in public or coworkers or, you know, there's a like a, a a watered down version. Mm-hmm. There's one that you tell your family and friends that like, hey, this was pretty bad and pretty scary. And then there's the one you tell in a meeting with addicts. And that's where you get really dark and gruesome and you tell your story. So give us kind of a, a watered down version of your story, if you will. So I was a um, alcoholic. <laughs> um, but so I, I started drinking in high school, kind of like just normal high school kid, kind of experimenting. And then I went to college and I lost, I was with a three sport athlete, was really busy in high school. And so I had a lot of responsibilities. So I, I didn't get too out of control. Went to college and wasn't playing sports and didn't have like teachers that knew me my whole life and all this community aspect. And I was a, like just free and went wild. And that's crazy because, I mean, I had a similar experience when I went to college. It was like all of a sudden you went to college and the teachers didn't care if you came to class. There was nobody waking you up in the morning. There was nobody checking in with you at the end of the night. And it was all of a sudden this this whole new world. And you're like, whoa, like the leash is off. Let's run. Let's see what we can do. And there's then you're surrounded by thousands of other kids with the same experience. And yeah, things get a little crazy. Yeah. Like you don't realize how much of an influence your teachers and and parents have on you. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't want to let them down, but I never learned how to not let myself down. Yeah. Until and then I went to college and I had to learn all that stuff, you know, as I like kept trash in my life and kept getting into dark situations that I don't like didn't knew I didn't want to be in but also like couldn't say no cuz you didn't have the tools. Yeah. And so you find yourself drinking a little too much in college. Yep. So drinking a little bit too much in college, then decided that I really didn't like I knew that the way I thought about alcohol, the way I drank was not normal and I wanted to stop. So I went to rehab. I put myself in rehab. I was like, okay, I'm going to get this out of control or this craziness uh, under control and then just like go back and chase my dreams and do whatever. But I didn't actually deal with like the reasons why I drank. I just tried to like remove alcohol. Yeah. And and that's a and that's a and that's a common thing with people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember and once again I'm going to say something on this podcast and it, it, our listeners are going to be like, "Case, we've heard this a million times." But I'm sitting there in rehab and I'm talking to uh, my therapist and he goes, "Do you want me to blow your mind?" And I'm like, "Yeah." And he goes, Drinking's not your problem. I go, I'm pretty sure drinking's my problem. That's why I'm here. And he goes, no, your problems are your problems. And drinking's been your solution. Drinking's now a problem. But we got to give up. We got to cut way back and, and figure out what your problems are. And so, mm-hmm. like you said, when you went to rehab the first time, you just wanted to take alcohol out of the equation. But you had some problems there, but you didn't want to deal with them. Or you didn't even know they were there. Right. And I didn't really even know that they were there. I didn't know, like, the social anxiety I was feeling. I didn't understand the depression, the anxiety. Like, all the stuff that was happening, I just thought... I'm only feeling this way because I drink alcohol. And if I don't drink alcohol, I'll be fine. But then I didn't drink alcohol and went back and was like struggling, just had really bad anxiety, really bad depression, wasn't going to meetings, wasn't connecting with anyone in a sober community and then got pregnant. So once I got pregnant, I moved back home and I thought, okay, now that I'm a mom, now that I'm more responsible, I'm back into an environment that kind of had an eye over me before I can drink responsibly and I won't get out of control again. And it was... I never went back to that fun high school drinking ever again. If I didn't get out of control, it was like gold star gentry. Like it was hard work. Like it wasn't something that was easy. It was always managing it. Mm -hmm. And it was not fun, but yet I couldn't stop. And it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. 
And so you kept that going for a while. Yep. So kept doing that, had kids, would take breaks when I was pregnant. And that's another thing, like another thing in my, my alcoholic brain was saying, like, well, you can stop when you're pregnant. You can like you're just going to reset. Everything will be fine. Like you're not an alcoholic. Alcoholics can't stop when they're pregnant. Alcoholics can't go to work. Alcoholics can't get their CPA license. Like I was going to college. I was doing all these things. And so I kept doing these things to the outside world to prove that I was an alcoholic so that I can try and continue to be an alcoholic. We call that checking boxes. You know what I mean? You're checking all the right boxes. So if somebody ever questions your addiction, you can go, wait a minute. I mean, I'm making my mortgage payment. Uh, I've got a job. Uh, I'm doing all these things. That, that's not what alcoholics do. And yeah, I mean, and it basically you're doing this just so you can keep up the way you're doing. Yeah, exactly. I feel like so much of me doing the accounting, so much of me doing this, um, the getting the CPA license, trying to move up in my career as an accountant, which I'm not an accountant. That's not my personality. But it was so much for that outside image of like, look, I am doing all these things. So therefore, it's OK if I drink on the weekends and get out of control because I'm still checking all these boxes, like you said. But eventually, uh, it does get out of control. Yes. <laughs> and and what does the uh, rock bottom look like on that? The rock bottom was after having the twins. So right before I had the, got pregnant with the twins, it was like, okay, this is starting to get kind of scary. Now, the twins are what for you? Your third and third fourth? Third and fourth. Okay. Yeah. So right before I got pregnant with the twins, that summer was like, okay, this is starting to get a little bit out of control. People are starting to like notice that it's out of control. Then I got pregnant. And I was like, okay, cool. We got another reset. And Control out the lead, that baby, huh? <laughs> We're good to go. Yeah, exactly. And I thought that I was going to be, um, like, that actually was going to be like, okay, this is the time I'm going to not drink. Like, I'm actually going to quit and be responsible. And two weeks after I had the twins, there was alcohol in the house, and I ended up having a beer. And I remember just feeling, like, super just down, like, depressed. Like, that was just, like... Ugh! like this is this weight in my pit about it because it was like I thought I was really going to be able to do this and it took two weeks of not having those babies in my stomach to be able to give back into alcohol and that entire year was just binging and then trying to stop and then binging and then trying to stop and was super depressed was drinking and driving with the kids in the car um, was missing a lot of work and would be at home drinking with the twins I mean they're babies and super dangerous super like grateful that nothing bad happened that year but at the end of that started to feel suicidal and just like I'm so trapped in this I'm so like woven deep in this that I'm never going to be get be able to get out and I'm going to die an alcoholic death and so you thought uh suicide would be your way out that when as soon as my brain started to go to a suicidal thought that was the moment that I almost started to see that there, the way out was just to stop drinking. You know, like it, I was in my car and I talk about this in the, the book that or chapter that I wrote, but I was in my car and was feeling like there was no way out and I was drunk. And once I had that thought process of like shut the garage door and just let the car like like in the movies, you know, when they like just let the car run in the garage and I'll fall asleep. I'm not thinking clearly when I'm drinking. And now my thinking is going to that like, when is it going to be the time that I actually do something or follow through? So scared you. Scared me, yeah. And so what did that lead you to do? Take everything one day at a time. Like, literally just took everything. I, before, when I was trying to quit drinking, I was trying to do everything at once. I was trying to quit drinking. I was trying to get back into fitness. I was trying to journal, blog, like... All the stuff all, you learned. All the things, yeah. And I was, I was so overwhelmed, and I had no trust in myself that, to follow through. 
And I actually, a couple months before I quit drinking, I just started making my bed every day. And I like talk about this on my, on my Instagram all the time that like those small baby step habits that I started doing before getting sober were what helped me get sober. Cause I had to build confidence in myself to follow through again. Now, did you learn that in rehab? Cause that's one of the things they taught us in rehab. I learned it from a girl that was in rehab. So the thought process is if, if that's all you do, at least you did one thing right. Yes. So I was at an AA meeting a couple months before I got sober and a lady had said that she was like, when I was in rehab, they made us make our bed every day. And my husband told me the other day, like it's been three days and you haven't made your bed. Like you need to go to a meeting. You need to like figure out what's going on. And it's like a barometer. Yeah. And I, it clicked. So I started doing that. I started doing like working out a little bit more like, but it was all baby steps. It was like, I'm not going to focus on not drinking. I'm just going to focus on doing like small things that are healthier for me. And, um, had that another, like I had that another low. But then just was like, every day was like, okay, I'm just not going to drink today. Like, I just can't do it today. Like, I'm exhausted. So the second time around, you didn't go back into a treatment facility. No. You just kind of created your own program. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I mean, I that's the thing is that when, when I'm talking to people uh, in recovery, uh, when you go into these meetings, um, a lot of the information that they're giving you has been given to you throughout your lifetime. You know, and whether you weren't ready to hear it or actually think it was true or or, or whatever it is. But, I mean, it, it's not like every once in a while there'll be some newfound dango stuff that comes out. You're like, oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it is stuff that you've been taught your whole life. Yeah. And you just have to go, well, let's just try this. Because so much of my life and my addiction, I always thought I was the smartest guy in the room. And I was always trying to outthink it or outplay mm-hmm. it or outmaneuver it or, or, or do something rather than just do it. When people ask me, what's the key to um, recovery? And it's action. You've got to put the action in it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, most people have the information. It's what you do with the information. You've got to put it into action. If you don't put it into action, nothing's going to happen. Here's another dumb meme that I love in the recovery world. It's if it, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different outcome. Mm-hmm. And that was so much of my addiction was, you know, like you would say, it was like, well, I'm just not going to do it. But did you do anything different? No. So then why were you surprised when you'd end back up with a <laughs> bottle in your hand? Yeah. It's like, because we didn't do anything different. Yeah. Well, Gentry's got uh, a chapter out in a book, and it's an amazing book, and we're going to hear more about that. You're listening to Project Recovery right here on KSL. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That is Gentry Jones. Uh, She's got a book, uh, well, a chapter in a book coming out. Right, chapter in a book. Uh, we just, the last, uh, you know, first part of the podcast was you talking about your addiction and you said, uh, your road to sobriety began with baby steps and you just kept doing the next right thing. Uh, not focusing so much on getting sober, but focusing on, you know, getting your life in control. Right. And so you did that and all of a sudden it takes off. Yeah. But before that you were still an accountant, right? Yes. And how do you go from accountant to uh, how many followers do you have on Instagram? I have 118,000 followers on Instagram. So how does that, how do you make that transition? Oh, well, 
I just started sharing. Like I <clears throat> was this part of your recovery? You sharing? Yeah, so yeah, like ninety days sober. Um, I decided to write. I started writing because I want. I like to write, and I was creative. As growing up as a kid, I was super creative, artsy, and then I went into accounting. Like totally not my personality at all. But it was like a good, responsible decision to take care of my kids. Um, but I started writing, and I posted a blog post about being 90 days sober mm-hmm. super super like vanilla like you're saying we don't tell our our deep dark deep dark secrets to everyone it was very like i've decided to take a break from drinking not like i was suicidal in my car um <clears throat> but as i started sharing that like so many people started to connect with things i was sharing and it just felt like super natural for me to be able to share and i think that not everyone has that that gift mm-hmm. to be able to f- feel comfortable sharing their or story. Or connect others. Yeah. So I just, I kept sharing my, my situations. I kept sharing, sharing my story, kept sharing what I was doing and it just kept growing and growing and growing. And, um, it just felt like I, that was home. Like that's where I belonged is being able to share my story, being able to help others. And once I got to a certain point with my social media and just had so many more opportunities, I just decided to quit accounting and got my life and recovery coaching certificate and started working with other people trying to not only like get sober, but like a lot of people that are already in sobriety trying to get unstuck. Because like we said, like it's like removing alcohol is not getting sober, finding that recovery. No, that just puts us even with everybody else. Yeah. And a lot of times we have created such a wake of carnage and mess behind us that uh, life is hard now because a lot of us maybe will have felonies or DUIs. And so then how are you going to get right back into society? Because society's not set up for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's hard for people to find apartments. It's hard for people to find jobs, to get licenses, to get cars. And you need all that stuff to stay sober. And so then you're, you're like, well, how am I going to do this? And so you're helping them get their life in order. Yeah, just helping them get confidence that they can be the person that they know they're meant to be. Okay. And so now you're doing on social, you're connecting with other uh, self-help motivational people out there. Right. And that's how what brought you to Utah. Yes. And then uh, that's when we had you on the podcast first. Right. And so when you came here over a year and a half ago, what was your following on Instagram and TikTok? Do you remember? Oh, probably like 40,000 maybe. So more than doubled. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And so now you're out there connecting with people who are in recovery and you're helping people get motivated and uh, you're proving that uh, recovery is possible. Yeah. And I and I think something that's really important to me on my page is I don't really talk about alcohol a ton on my page. Like a lot of it's like what I'm doing, like dancing on my table. Like it's like just having fun in life and mm-hmm. just being confident having fun in life and trying to send that message more than like talking about what I did when I was drinking or how I'm overcoming obstacles in drinking. It's more just like how I'm living my life now that I have it again. Yeah. It's, it's talking about recovery because there's a difference between uh, being in recovery and being sober. Being sober just means you're not you're using. Recovery means you're living life and, you know, life with gentry. And that's what it's about. And that's what I like about it. When you view your Instagram, uh, you can see you having fun. You can see you having bad times as well. But, I mean, you can see you out there doing uh, life. And I think that's what people need to see is that life can be fun again. Life can be wonderful. And as you said at the beginning of the podcast, life can be amazing. And because of all of this, you've been afforded some cool opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, Jessica Buchanan, who is the lead author on this book, actually started following me and we connected through social media. Like social media has just been a great connector for me. And 
Um, she was kidnapped in Somalia in 2011, and she shares part of her story in that, uh, in this in this book, in a chapter. And then she also asked a bunch of other amazing women to share their journey of reclaiming their voice. So my story is about my recovery. So I talk about like the dark parts of my addiction and the road to my recovery. And then some other women, I share some really empowering stories about overcoming abuse or overcoming um, their like being immigrants to this country or overcoming just a ton of just different obstacles in their life. And it's just a very, very powerful women empowerment book. And so it's out now and you can get it where? Uh, Amazon. So it's Deserts to Mountaintops and it's available on Amazon. So you can get it a uh, hard copy or the ebook. So, I mean, is it crazy to think that in what little more than four years of how much your life has changed? It was like this time five years ago, I was at like my lowest point, and I remember trying to get sober at the beginning of that year, like January. I'm going to do dry January. I'm going to get sober, and I remember like this time last year was just I had started drinking again mid January. And I felt like I was never going to be able to overcome it. I felt like I was like going to die an alcoholic death. And I wasn't sure how. I wasn't sure if it was going to be like my body finally broke down, if it was going to be a car accident, whatever. But I didn't I think I was going to overcome it. So like looking back at where I was five years ago and today, it is a world of difference. And it's all because I just decided to keep taking small steps to be better. So what does life look like for you now? I mean, what do you want to do? I mean, I, I know you're doing wonderful things on Instagram and TikTok and, you know, you got the chapter in the book. What are you doing now? I also do like a six week course for healthy habits. So since mine, I, as I've, once I got sober and started to really connect the dots to what it was that helped lead up to that, it was so much about my habits, making those really small habit changes. So I've done a ton of research in the last five years and started doing um, an online course to help people change their habits and give them the step-by-step guides to do that. So what is something that you could tell our listeners now? What easy habit, besides making the bed, because I kind of said that one already. You know what I mean? Uh, what kind of habit? What could you do to tell somebody? Because, I mean, here we are still in January. Everybody makes their New Year's resolutions. But at this point in January, most people have already let up on them and forgot them and said, well, we'll do it next year. So what's something simple that people could do? Be like, hey, I could try that and see where that goes. Affirmations and gratitude, I think, are the two most powerful things. So I think you should do affirmations in the morning. And that's just... Changing the way you're looking at yourself, changing the way you talk to yourself. Cause but I think when you say that, most people think of the Saturday Night Live, like <laughs> I'm good enough and gosh darn it, people like me. And, and they made a joke of it. But the reality is, is that the way we talk to ourselves is way meaner than anybody else talks to ourselves. And so if we're talking to ourselves like that, then all of a sudden we, we allow other people to talk and look at us like that. So, I mean, you've got to believe in yourself. And sometimes that's tough, but those affirmations can help. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I... It, the way I used to talk to myself, I would have a restraining order if somebody else talked to me like that. Like, it's just like you would never, ever let that happen. It'd be like a mental abuse. But the way that we allow ourselves to talk to ourselves is just so insane. And so, like, just even if you're not going to sit down and write these, like, corny affirmations, just catching yourself. Like, taking a moment to be like, I am capable of doing this. Before you enter new things, have intention to say, like, I can do this. I can overcome this. Because, I mean, I'll catch my kids and they'll make a mistake and go, I'm so stupid. And I go, stop. No, you're yeah. you're not. You're you're not stupid. Don't beat yourself up. I remember in my active addiction, uh, when it was when it was ugly and dark, I would get in my car and I would roll the windows up and I would turn the radio up and I would yell, I effing hate my life. And I would scream it from the top of my lungs just to get it out. Mm-hmm. And, and, and 
I mean, it breaks my heart, but I mean, that's how I felt. And I would look in the mirror and I would see this and then you start to believe it. And then it just, it just, it, it's a, a spiral that you get yourself into. And now I can tell you, I get in my car and I don't scream that anymore. And I love my life and I'm very fortunate and very blessed and very grateful. So I love affirmations. I think affirmations are important. And the way we speak to ourselves is, is really the way that other people are going to see us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They, they're going to see the reflection that you have of yourself. So if you want them to see the, what you're capable of, then you have to believe you're capable of it. I also think a gratitude practice is super powerful because if we're starting to switch our mind to look for things that we're grateful for, it's like going down the street and saying, I'm going to point out every car that's green. You're going to start to see everything, every green car. Mm -hmm. It it brings it subconscious to your conscious. So if you're able to do that with gratitude, you stop feeling like you're a victim in your addiction. You start to feel like, okay, I'm grateful that I have today. I'm grateful that I got to work on time. I'm grateful that I didn't drink today. So finding gratitude for every little baby step every single day um, it will just compound. In rehab, uh, we had these journals, and I and I found mine the other day, and I opened it up, and I started reading it because uh, we were tasked every night we'd have to sit around this couch and you know do a closing talk and, and, and that kind of stuff. And then you had to write three things that you were grateful for. And I was there for 45 days and I had to do that every day. And, and you know, at first it was, you know, I'm grateful for my kids. I'm grateful for my family. Uh, you know, and, and, there, and there's the, the stuff that's the cream, the top that's the easy grab. But, you know, all of a sudden, because you, you're, you're not supposed to repeat, you know, about 30 days in, I mean, I'm grateful for the state we live in. I'm grateful for this opportunity to be in recovery, which when I was first there, I was like, that was the worst thing for me. It felt like such a punishment. Like mm-hmm. I'm going to recovery and I'm being punished because I couldn't figure this out. And it wasn't until 30 days into it that I realized that this was a blessing and a gift that I was given a gift to give my life back. And so I was grateful for being in recovery where 30 days I was, I was born for, I was hateful. I was like, this is the stupidest thing ever. Yeah. And so when you start to do that and, and, and there's little things that we are grateful for, you know, and, and that's, a, it's an amazing practice if you can get yourself to do it. So a gratitude journal is great. You know, just that you keep a notepad by the, out of your bed and go, hey, look, before you go to bed tonight, three things that you're grateful for. I even like, because um, it's hard sometimes, you know, you don't always have time to like sit and write down or you'll forget. So I have alarms go off on my phone that just say like, what are you grateful for? So it makes me take a pause Ooh. and have to like think what I'm grateful for for that moment. And then I turn the alarm off and I go back to whatever I'm doing. So it just reminds me to be grateful for everything that that's... I like that. So how many alarms go off a day for you? Three. <laughs> I, I really, I, gratitude practice, I feel like, is great at night, especially if you're starting it. Um, but I like to do, like, first thing in the morning. So, mornings can be stressful with four boys. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's, like, right twins. after. Yeah, twins, too. Twins, uh, they're five in kindergarten, and they are, they're, they're trouble. But um, I do one in the morning while I'm getting them ready because it helps me, like, reset so I don't, like, yell at them. And then I have one at lunchtime, and then I have one at the end of the day. Oh, I could talk to you all day, uh, but it, it's wonderful that you're giving back to the recovery community. Uh, what about somebody out there that's battling with addiction uh, and they're maybe listening to this thinking, you know, kind of like you were like, I want to get things fixed, but I don't know what life's going to look like. What advice would you give them? The self-confidence, believing in yourself, those baby steps, doing small things, following through on small things so you can build up that confidence that you can do what you say you're going to do, I think is the best advice. Uh, and, and my advice has changed over the four years too, or five years. It's like once you start to learn more things, but I think that that was huge for me is being able to change the way I was thinking about myself. Like I said, when I, I didn't think I was capable of getting sober. I didn't think I was starting to give up hope. But once I started building up that confidence that I can do things that I say I'm going to do, and it was literally with those small baby steps, making my bed, like say I'm going to drink water every morning and doing it 
like doing really small things and believing in yourself. I love it. So if people want to find out more information about Life with Gentry and the book, let's do the book first. What's the name of the book? The book is called Deserts to Mountaintops, Our Collective Journey to Reclaiming Our Voice. And the lead author on that is Jessica Buchanan. Okay. And if they want to follow you on Instagram, TikTok, and uh, find out more about your healthy habits and all that good stuff. So that would be at Life with Gentry. And you can also find me at lifewithgentry.com. And the book is going to be linked on there too. I love it. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you stopping by and talking with me today and sharing your life of recovery and showing people that it's possible. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And thank you for stopping by and listening to another episode of Project Recovery. And in case you forgot, Project Recovery is a KSL podcast. of this program are for informational purposes only. The program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, licensed therapist, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program. KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com. Follow us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else you listen.